Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the LFC Red Poets podcast. I'm your host, Les Lawson, and tonight I'm joined as normal by my cohorts, Tom Keegan and Pete Warburton. And our special guest tonight is George Scott. You might know him as the Lost Shankly Boy, and we're here to find out his story about, you know, how he first come to Liverpool, how he met Shanks, and then how that shaped his career going forward. So, George... So tell us, as a young boy, sort of living in Scotland, how did you first get scouted by Liverpool and then ultimately how did you come to sign for the club and how difficult was it to sort of leave home at such a young age? Well, well, when I was a boy, uh, around sort of 13, 14, I was playing for Aberdeen schools, Aberdeen schools team for the city and uh, Scottish schools. And basically, I was scouted by Aberdeen, and that was my club. Like most people living in Liverpool want to play for Liverpool or Everton, I wanted to play for Aberdeen. So I uh, got the chance when I was 15 to sign as an apprentice. But uh, I didn't actually sign. I, signed, I agreed to sign. And then just by chance, the, the, the janitor or the caretaker at our school was a scout for Liverpool. And I didn't know that. And he asked my mother and my stepfather if I could come to Liverpool for a trial. Now, I never really knew much about Liverpool at all. They were a second division team going nowhere. I was just a kid. The only thing I knew was Bill Shankly. And the only reason I knew about Bill was the fact that he had signed Dennis Law from Aberdeen Schools. And Dennis, I knew his family. And I used to admire Dennis. He was my big idol. He used to drive around Aberdeen in a red Jaguar, you know, and I wanted to be like him. <laughs> so basically sort of thought, yeah, that would be a nice break to go to Liverpool. Although I was only 15, I thought, well, nothing to lose, you know. I'd hardly been out of Aberdeen. Uh, ever. I've never been to England. So I um, came down to Liverpool and I was met by Gordon Wallace, who later went on to be the first player ever to score for Liverpool in Europe and the first player ever to score a match of the day, as it happens as well, Gordon. Gordon and I are still great pals today, 63 years later. Still play golf together, see each other regularly. And also Bobby Graham. And Bobby Graham was actually um, there as well. Hello, are you there? Yeah, it's all right, George. You carry on. It's just Tommy being a naughty boy. <laughs> the bells are ringing there. I thought it was time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, and Bobby was there. So the two of us arrived. But Gordon and I went had a trial. And I think Bobby came a week or two later, actually. And with the very successful three games we played. And at the end of the week, Shankly pulled Gordon in and offered him a contract as an apprentice. I think it was £7 a week. And then I went in to see uh, the boss and he offered me a contract. Uh, wanted me to sign and I said to him well I've basically agreed to sign for Aberdeen and that's really I think what I want to do you know and my mum and my granddad and my granddad they won't be very happy about me coming all the way down here and being very nice to come here and that but I don't think I'll be able to sign Mr Shankly you know and of course he went straight to the jugular you know you know he looked at me like you know and I, I said to him well look my granny doesn't even know where Liverpool is and he looked at me and he said you tell her son you tell her Liverpool's in the second division at the moment. But we'll be in the first division next year, I can tell you that. Soon, <laughs> everybody will know where Liverpool is, son. You go back and tell your mum that. Anyway, when he said that, it hit me like a bullet in the chest. And I just thought, well, God, I'm going nowhere but Liverpool here. It's, it's, it's written in the stars, you know. So I went back to Aberdeen and told my mum <clears throat> my granddad, and they weren't very happy, obviously. But I said to my mum, look, I'm going to get £7 a week, so I'm going to send you £2 a week. Every week I'm down there, I'll send you two pounds in an envelope, I promise. 
And that was a big thing because my dad was on, my stepfather was on nine pound a week with a family of three people, three kids, me, or two kids left behind and my mum. So that was like almost my dad's wage, uh, half of it, you know. So I, they relented and they allowed me to go. Anyway, I was um, I was seen off by my granddad uh, um, because my mum was in hospital, as I remember, and my brothers were at school and my dad was working. So my old granddad took me to the station and he was my idol because, you know, he brought me up. My father had been killed in Normandy uh, two months before I was born in 1944 in the Gordon Islanders. And so he took me to the station and saw me off. And it was very sad, really, because um, I got down to Liverpool. I was only there a week and he died. So I never saw him again. And that was traumatic, really, at the time. And I think Shankly felt for me very much at the time as well. I was a young lad in Anfield away from home and yeah, lost his granddad. And later on, my granny died as well, but I'm, I think two or three months later. So it was a big change in my life, you know. But, you know, life had to go on. And that, that's actually how I got to Liverpool. And I arrived there at the club uh, with Bobby Graham, Gordon Wallace, Tommy Smith and Chris Lawler. There was uh, five or six of us all together. And Bill's, Bill's idea was to get young players from across the country school by internationals or or good school by players like Matt Busby had done with the Busby Babes, bring them together and create them for the future. And that was his idea. And he succeeded because Tommy and uh, and Chris became total legends of the club. Bobby got into the team towards the end, of, the end of the 60s. He had to wait a long time. And Gordon got some games as well and did well. I didn't, unfortunately. I only got three games in the first team. And they were all in the Lancashire Senior Cup, which, you know, I'm scratching a bit, but they were classified as first-team games. But I played many, many, many reserve games, 130, I think, scored about 30, 40 goals. I was top goal scorer in the reserves for three consecutive seasons, except one season when Alfie Arrowsmith made me by a couple of goals and had most appearances as well. But the problem was you couldn't get in the team easily because they had 12 internationals and every one of them was a legend and there was no substitutes. And so, therefore, you just had to keep cracking your head against the wall and trying to get in. But when you've got Roger Hunt keeping you out of the team, then, you know, it's not easy. You <laughs> won a World Cup. <laughs> so that was how I came to Liverpool. So, George, being so, at such a young age, you, you know, you were 15, and, you know, you're leaving home, you know, you're leaving your family, and you're coming down to, you know, to stay in a, a part of the country you didn't really know a lot about. Where... where did you stay with the family? Did the club put you up like with a in digs with or or what happened to the likes of you and Bobby Graham and was Ian Ross there at the time as well? Yes, yes, Ian, Ian came a little bit later, but yeah, I was very friendly with Ian. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I stayed friendly with Ian until he sadly passed away. We played play golf together, and uh, he's a lovely, lovely lad. Ian, Ian went on to great things in Iceland and Aston Villa and all that. You know, yeah, Ian was there. Yeah. Well, what they did, they put us in digs in two five eight Anfield Road which is basically still there. It's a white house opposite the Arkles. The three bedrooms above the door. That was our, our room, Bobby Gordon myself, uh, when we started. Then Bobby moved to um, Harrow Road, I think. Uh, and Bobby moved down the other side of Anfield later on, about a year later. And then I was in there for about 18 months, I think. And then I moved in with Peter Thompson and uh, Lily Road up in Prescott. Peter and I were great pals. Yeah, it's it's amazing to think, isn't it? That, you know, the you know some of the some of the names you mentioned in there. You know, to me, you know, as a boy growing up, you know, absolute legend. I mean, I was at Anfield on the day that that Bobby Graham unfortunately broke his ankle, and that basically destroyed his his yeah. Liverpool career. Um, yeah. So you know, but and you know, Bobby Graham for me, 
has always got a special place in my heart. And yes. all Liverpool starts with that goal he scored at Goodison. But yeah. it all gets lost sometimes because it was the game which which the greatest own goal ever scored by Sandy Brown. <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember it. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so, this, so what was your, at, a, at sort of the age of 15 then, what was your sort of training regime at that time? Were you training with the schoolboys or, and you know, and how, how sort of, how long did it take you to sort of progress from that stage to say playing for the reserves? Well, we started off. We started off as apprentices, so we would be forking the pitch, cleaning the stand, rubbing it, brushing the rubbish off the cop, playing five sides against Shankly and Paisley and Ruben Bennett and Joe Fagan on a on a Monday morning on the main pitch in the penalty box or down at Melwood um, or in the car park. Sometimes we played five sides against them in the car park, and they were always really, really tough games to play against Joe and Bob and them because they cheated. You know, we were just young kids. They were experienced pros, ex-pros. In the 40s, we were just young bucks, you know, and it was great. But we know we, we started off in the C team. That's like the fifth team. And we played in the Lancashire League against all the other clubs, the C teams, Burnley, Bolton, Blackpool, Preston, Man United, City, all them. And we played them home and away. And then we progressed, progressed to the B team. And then got the odd game in the A team. Then you went into the A team. And then the day came when your name went up in the dressing room and the reserves, the Central League team. And uh, that was the start of it. And I played, uh, as I said, about 130 games over three seasons in the Central League team. And the Central League was a great league. I mean, we used to go and play at all the big stadiums. When we were in Newcastle, Newcastle were at Anfield. Or United were at Anfield. We were at Old Trafford. Not like today, now they're playing on the Kirby Academy and they don't get a chance to play the under-21s much in the big stadiums. And what happened is you were an apprentice until you were 17. And then once you reached the age of 17, Shanks pulled you in to tell you whether you're going to make it or not. And like today, it was quite traumatic because today the kids are coming in at the age of six and seven and eight. And they they leave the school and they're big heroes to the pals. Then they get to 12, 13, 14 and somebody comes along and says, I'm sorry, son, you're a great player, but you're not going to make it here. And they have to move on and they're broken hearted. Well, in our, in our time, we left school at 15. So we had no job, no training, no qualifications. So if you got the thumbs down when you were going to see Shanklin at the age of 17, you had to find a club or you had to get a job. Fortunately, I got the thumbs up. So I became a, full, a full-time professional, as did Gordon, as did Bobby, as did Chris and Tommy. So we were on the way then as pros. And we used to get our boots clean for us rather than cleaning the boots of the first team. <laughs> so can I ask you, George, when you when you actually signed professional, then you, you said that that when you first come down, you were on seven pound a week. How much did you? What what sort of rise did you get when you signed professional? Well, when I first came down, the maximum wage for professional footballers was twenty pound a week. Nobody could get more than that. Uh, and then Jimmy Hill led a revolution in the union, and I remember the. Um, our union man, I can forget who he was, Jimmy Harrow, I think, he came in and said to us, we're going on strike next week, lads. All the footballers going on strike, so we wouldn't get paid. And then I think we were, didn't quite go on strike. I think it was a day or two before the strike was due to take place. Jimmy Hill settled with the union and took away the maximum wage. And then uh, Fulham paid Johnny Haynes, I think it was, £100 a week. And that mm. opened the doors. So it was still a big difference between the reserves and the first team. I mean, Peter was earning, you know, maybe, I don't know, £100 a week. Plus, uh, they used to get 
two pound for every thousand in the ground over twenty three thousand, and one pound for a draw, something like that, you know. So they could pick up maybe another fifty pound midweek game, another fifty pound for the Saturday. That goes up to two hundred pound a week. Then your boots and stuff. So they were earning maybe two three hundred pound a week in those days in the sixties, sixty two. 63, 60, it was a lot of money. I'd be earning about 30, 40 pounds a week. Wow. Yeah, that, that sounds, you know, to kids today, 200 pounds is nothing. I mean, the, the vast sums they're earning now, but it was in those days big money, wasn't it, George? That? Mm. Yeah, yeah, when I used to, when I get £7.50 a week, I used to pay my landlady, which is when I first went there, and I paid the landlady £3.50 a week for the digs, covered everything, cleaning, cooking, washing. And then I used to send two pounds to my mother, as I promised, every week, never stop. That was five five fifty. I left me a couple of quid. Now for two pounds, two pounds fifty, you could have a ball in Liverpool. The Beatles were playing live on the cavern. They were downtown of a Saturday night, the Royal Tiger Club, went the pictures, did whatever we wanted to do on, on two pounds a week. I mean, I I mean, when I went later on, I signed for Aberdeen when Shankly let me go to Aberdeen. I was I was sold for twelve thousand pounds and I got twelve hundred pounds. Selling on fee. It was 1965 after the cup final. And I mean, I got the £1,200 was about the third of the value of a house. I mean, I bought a mini, I bought a mini brand new, drove, drove out of the showroom, £534, brand new mini, CRS948C. I can still remember the number. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was a big difference, as you said before, that I mean, uh, modern players wouldn't have any comprehension. No. I remember Johnny Haynes being the first hundred pound a week footballer. He just, I remember Jimmy Hill was the union rep as he as he as he won the battle, and he was saying he was he was bringing parity for football. But obviously, there wasn't a great deal of parity, George, between the the Central League lads and 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 the first team players. Oh, well, the objective was to get into the first team. Once yeah. you got in the first team, and that was the incentive, you know. I mean, the money was, to be honest, the money went to the directors, really, because you had 53,000 in Anfield every week. I mean, the cop was like an ocean wave. You've been, you know, you know what it's like standing room only. And, you know, they took all the money, even, even 100, 200 pounds a week. Coming out of what the money they took in the gate was nothing. Now it's the other way around. Now the Bosman ruling, Sky TV, all that stuff now has made the, the powers in the, in, the, in the hands of the players and the agents. Mm. To a much greater extent than it was in those but, days. So, George, when you played for the for the reserves, then was it Joe Fagan who was the manager of the reserves then? And yeah. because Ruben Bennett was with the first two, and obviously, you know, people remember sort of think, well, how about Ronnie Moran? But he was still playing then, wasn't he? Yeah, Ronnie was in the first team when I first got to Anfield. I think he was in the first team for about two seasons, and then he was uh, he was knocked out by Jerry Byrne um, and Chris Lawler, and Ronnie then moved more into the reserves. Uh, but John, uh, Joe was fantastic. Joe was a real mentor to me, very encouraging, always kept me going, told me, you know, don't give up, keep going, son, you're going to get there. Unfortunately, it was a bit difficult, but, you know, he kept me going. And he was a brilliant lad, Joe. He was my trainer most of the time I was there because Bob was the first-team trainer and Ruben was the general man, a general uh, staff sergeant, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so can you, tell, can you tell the listeners a little bit about Ruben Bennett, because I'm glad you brought him up because I think he played an integral part in the in the success of Liverpool under under Shanks. But he tends to be a little bit of the forgotten man because when the you know, when the 
when the boot room is mentioned, it's always Shanks, Paisley, Fagan, Morant, yeah. Roy Evans. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, Ruben sort of gets lost somewhere, but he was there right at the very start. And I'd love you to sort of give us an all a bit of an insight into what Ruben's like. I know I've been told some stories. Emily News has told me a couple of stories about Ruben Bennett. But but um, as I say, let, let's hear your sort of thoughts and, and memories of Ruben. Well, he was loved by the players. He was loved by the players because he was a character. He's from Aberdeen, which was brilliant for me, and he looked after me a lot, you know. Uh, I used to go over to his house at Blackmore Drive in West Derby, and he'd be sitting there with a whiskey, you know. <laughs> and he was a fantastic character. I mean, he'd tell us these ridiculous stories, you know. I remember he told us, lads, he said once, he said, he held the world record for the longest punch-out by a goalkeeper in Scottish history. And we <laughs> said, rubbish, Ben, you know, what are you talking about? He said, oh, no, son, he said, I was playing for Thadlanac, he said, at Starks Park against Wraith Rovers. He said, the ball comes in, he said, big centre forward jumped up. And I jumped up above and put my knees right in his back, punched the ball as hard as I could, right out of the stadium, into the northern line, landed in a goods carriage, he ended up in Aberdeen, son. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and, that, and funny enough, funny enough, the railway track at Starks Park does go right past the stadium, so it could have been true, you know. <laughs> and he used to say, he used to well, say sorry. to us, if, if you went down injured, he used to say, get bloody up, get up. You know, he said, you're lucky you're not playing in Scotland in my day, the juniors, he said. We used to play on asphalt. Asphalt, he said. Ash, he said. And if we went down, the trainer come on with a wire brush <laughs> <laughs> to rub the scabs off your leg. He said, he was, and a, he was, um, a bottle of water on your head. <laughs> he, he was thought of as quite a... Quite a disciplinarian, Reuben Bennett, wasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He was a hard man, like he was like, was he an XPE teacher in the army? He was, he was, yeah. He was a goalkeeper in his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was. So he, he was work, work the, you know, the players hard, like. But he was, like you, you talk about him then. He was obviously fondly thought of, though. Even oh, he though was, he was, yeah. You know, he was a disciplinarian, like. Yeah, I mean, we used to he used to have uh, sprints, and he cha he challenged us, the lads, you know, his young lads, challenges to um hundred yard sprint. The only thing was, he said, we need to give him yards for years. So <laughs> we were like 18 and he was 40. So we had to give him, we had to give him 20, 30 yards start. Never, never beat him. <laughs> yeah. some, of, some of the best photographs you see of Ruben Bennett, you know, from the uh, old, uh, you know, the uh, where he's got his shorts on and his socks rolled down. He looks the right fella, you know. Must have yeah. been fit for his age, like. Yeah. He's yeah. come from the same cloth, wasn't he, as Shanks? Yes, the same yes. Sort, exactly the same sort of philosophy. When you listen to what you're saying about Ruben then, Shanks had the same philosophy, didn't he? He didn't like injured players. Injured players were a liability. Oh, he, yeah. He, I, I remember he was uh, Chris Lawler. I think Chris missed two games in seven years. And he goes over on his ankle at Melwood in a little five-a-side. And in the afternoon, Shanks and Paisley are walking up the passage and they see him coming out of the treatment room with his arm around Tommy Smith, you know. And he says to Bob Paisley, Shanks, he said, oh, there's that malinger at Lola. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like you being injured, no. He didn't like you being injured. <laughs> it, it's funny. Emlyn, Emlyn told a story. I don't know whether, you, whether this is true or not, but Emlyn once told me a story about Reuben Bennett once and he said, he said that if you'd ever found any, any kit lying around in the changing room and you said, who's is this? It would always be Ruben's. And he said, even if it was a, like one of the old grey sweaters that they used to wear, 
that would have fitted Big Ron Yates or John Toshak and Ruben was only small. No, that's mine. I don't think he would take it and put it in his in his locker. You know never do it. I never yeah. doing any you see that the meanest Scotsman around. <laughs> yeah. And the other no, thing was... another interesting thing you said there when you were talking about Ruben, when you told that story about and I just wonder if this is where Ray Clements got got it from because um you just said there that Ruben said when he, he challenged for this ball and put his knees in the back of the the, the centre forward. Well, Ray Clements always used to say when he first came into the team as a young goalkeeper, one thing he always used to do, he always used to jump with his knees out so for, to keep the to keep the sort of forwards away for, from him. And I just wonder whether that was something possibly that that obviously would have been there when Ruben Bennett was still there. And I wonder if that was something that Ruben passed on to him. Maybe, maybe as well. And to Tommy Lawrence as well, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Done. yeah, yeah. With Goalkeepers Union, you know, they've all got these little secrets, you know. You don't get away with it these days much no. as you did in those days. I mean, no. in my day, in my day, there wasn't 10 cameras and 20 cameras. I mean, you can get away with a bit of dark arts and corners of the pitch, you know. That's what Tommy, I mean, Tommy used to, Tommy Smith used to be my minder. When we were playing, there was, I had about 50 games with him. And I was quite tricky, quick, you know. I scored quite a lot of goals from midfield. And Tommy used to sort of, if hit me, and he told me just walk over like and just uh, do that again, I'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember we played, we, played, uh, we played in the FA Youth Cup final at Anfield, first leg, against West Ham United. And um, Harry Redknapp was on the right wing. He was only 17 for West Ham. John Sisson's on the left wing. Uh, England international schoolboy, you know, really good player. Both of them wingers were very good. Shankly knew this, you see. So in the dressing room before we went out onto Anfield to play the final, he says to uh, Tommy, he said, uh, as a boy in the left wing, Tommy, he said, Sissons, he said, he's a bloody flyer. I want him in the bandbox in 10 minutes. And Tommy, <laughs> Tommy hit the target. Well, he nearly hit the target. 15 minutes, he was hobbling off. And his, <laughs> and, uh, and his sisters was going off. He was pointing at Smitty, saying, bloody psycho. Bloody psycho. Back in the day under Ruben and Shanks, you know, you look at the pre-season now and, you know, all the games are live on TV. What was it? What was a pre-season training regime like then under, you know, such a young boy you've come down? It must have been sort of like hitting a brick wall going from, you know, all of a sudden, you know, for your first pre-season at Liverpool, did you have to? Is it true? Do you, or is it? Was that before your time that you had to run from Anfield to Melwood sometimes? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, the training was fantastic. They were way ahead of the time. I mean, as a kid of 15, 16, you're fit, you're young, you know, you can run forever. I could run the moon and back. But I mean, you know, Shankly had the great, and Bob Paisley, they had great methods. They did they had the shooting boards, they put the shooting boards in, which was like a square, a square of shooting boards, and you go in the middle. And you'd have to hit the ball against the board and catch it, turn, hit it, catch it, turn. And in the winter, it got a bit muddy. But, and, and Joe Fagan or Ruben would be there with a whistle and you had to keep going for a minute. And a minute's a long time, you know, when you're getting pushed. So they used to do that. And then there was another shooting board where, uh, like 100 yards apart and the first team forward line would go in the line and Ruben would put the ball in. They'd run up and hit the ball with the goal. Tommy Lawrence or Bet Slater would be in goals. They would dive. If they missed it, it hit the board and came back and the forward would hit it again. If they saved it, that was great. You went around the back again. And then the reserve team came in after the first team had their session. The reserves and then the A team, well, the, the apprentices, it was like that, you know. We did laps around the pitch, a lot of five-a-sides. 
Um, Shankly believed in using the ball as soon as he can get it. Um, but pre-season was difficult for a lot of players. Like say Big Ronnie and Tommy, they'd come back overweight and they had to put big plastic, you know, sweat it off, you know, in the first. But as you got, as you went through it, you got fitter and fitter, you know. Talking about running back to Anfield, um, there's a story in my book, you know, which is true. That um, one day, Shankly decided we'd be running back to Anfield. So off we went. Me and Bobby and Gordon and John Bennett and a couple of other Phil Tinney, we were off like a, like greyhounds because we want to impress. We're only kids, you know, so we want to get back to Anfield as soon as we can. So we get back there, we're knackered, you know, and there's, uh, there's Big Ronnie and St. John sitting there. You know, how do you... They got the 17D bus. <laughs> and, uh, and they were signing autographs on the bus. And then, anyway, Ruben found out and they got a right bollocking. <laughs> Shankly says, in future, Ruben's going with you. <laughs> I think it was Big Ronnie, Billy Stevenson and Saint. You know, they'd got, they jumped the bus, you know, when they got to the top of West Arby, West Arby Drive. <laughs> we ran the whole way. <laughs> I often think, anyway, we know, didn't do much more running after that. He stopped it. I often think, you know, George, you know, when you you just saying then about Shanks was ahead of his time and, you know, with, with, with the shooting boards and his training methods and many managers came to have a look at the secret of what, what it was at Liverpool. And I, I, I often... We've had a few guests, and you think I'd love to ask somebody: Do you think Shanks would have progressed in the modern game had he been born in the modern game, or, or was he a manager of his time? I think he was a manager of his time, to be honest, because I, I, I think he would he would struggle today. I think a little bit because of the agents and the the lack of power in the manager's hands. He wanted to make all, all the decisions. He was the main man, you know, he was... I mean, having said that, his personality would have got him through. We'd still have been loved today by the fans, by the people, by, by the press. I mean, you know, that would have been brilliant. But it is a different era now. I mean, think 50, 50 years, 60 years later, you know, you can't... It's very difficult it, to tell. His simplicity in his football, wasn't it? You, you won the ball, you passed the ball, you moved... It, football yep. hasn't changed a great deal over all the years. It's still, we talk about today and we talk about, you know, pressing and, and it, it's only the same sort of thing, isn't it? Winning the ball, passing the ball, moving, passing and moving. And he, he was like, he, he was like miles ahead of his time there, really. you know, and then managers like, like Jock Steen. I often think I also often think you know when people say when, when people say do you think they'd have managed it in this day and age? I think as you say the way the game with agents and stuff. I don't think he would have coped with that. He would have loved the media because he was a yeah. he was a people person. He was amazing. Yeah. But I think do you know what? As a football man, he he had the right idea, didn't he? You know. Yeah, yeah. I think you know I've said this many times. I think you know Jurgen Klopp to me is a modern version of Shankly. Because he actually plays the game the same way. If you go back to my day, I remember many team meetings we were in. Uh, we used to play practice matches against the first team. And there were hard-fought games on Anfield, fights against Reds, you know. And we were fighting to get in the team, you know. And, you know, with the same philosophy as you've just described, Shankly used to say, the ball doesn't get tired, son. Move the ball. Make the ball do the work. He said, leave, leave the fancy stuff to the fancy dance in the box. This, the, you, all you got to do is get the ball, pass it to a red shirt, get it back, don't lose possession. And if you do, get it back at a high press. 
And he used to play in little triangles. He would go from, I don't know, Chris Lawler to Tommy, Tommy to Gordon Milne, back to Chris and over to the left wing to Peter. Or, and then Peter Thompson and Jerry would do the same again, just like they do now when you see Van Dijk hitting the long ball out to Salah, you know, changing the play. And you look at a Liverpool team now, they, if they lose the ball, they get it back. You've got Nunes now running back in defence. Used to have a high press a few seasons ago when we won the league by so many points. And also the method they play. And if you look at the players, Shankly had Tommy Lawrence. We've got Allison. You got um, today Big Ronnie. You got Van Dyke up front. You had Roger Hunt and the Saint. You got like before you had Firmino and Suarez, and you, now you've got um, Darwin and, and Jota. You know, and then in the wings. Okay, now today you've got the fullbacks playing like wingers. And crossing the ball, but in our day, Cali and, and Peter would go up the wing and cross it. So it was like almost like a crucifix he used to play down the middle and out to the wings. So it's very similar, I think. And also, Jurgen, I think his attitude is mirror Shankly. He loves mm-hmm. the fans, the fans love him. He understands what makes Liverpool people tick. Uh, Shanks used to say to us, You're playing for these boys that work in the factories and the docks, mundane jobs, son. They come here to worship you here. Don't let them down. He went all about that all the time, you know. All for the fans, you know, that's all you thought about, really. And uh, Liverpool Football Club, unbelievable. So, George, when, when you come down and, you you know, you, you're in the reserves and you're looking, there was a hell of a lot of competition, wasn't it, at that time for you to get, you know, a starting place? You know, it was the old, like, inside, right, inside, left, right half, left half, yeah. you know, things like that. And, and, and so... And and you you've mentioned some of the names there that you were you know that you were up against you know you had Peter Thompson, Cali, uh, yeah. Ian St John, uh, <laughs> Roger Hunt. Then you had uh, I think Alan Acott must have been there around about the time. He was Bobby, when I first arrived. Yeah, he was there for a yeah. couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Graham, mm-hmm. you know, Gordon Wallace was was there at the time. Yeah. So and and then you yourself and that and you mentioned Alfie Adamsmith as well. Yeah, big Alfie was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Now now. You know, it's it's sort of no wonder you call a lost Shankly boy because the competition you had, you know, yeah. to try to get into the team was just, you know, you're talking about there people who, you know, I mean, just to name two of the players there, Alfie Adamsmith and Bobby Graham, plus for their horrendous injuries. Yes, and Alfie had Alfie had problems with his knees, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, and Bobby Graham, um, Shanks used to say. That he was that quick, he could catch catch pigeons, right? <laughs> and Bobby started to to force his way into the Liverpool team, and he got that had endless injury, and he was never ever the same player. So it must have been, although you know they're all your mates, and you you, you know you marvelled at playing with them. It must have been sort of like banging your head against the brick wall at times, sort of thinking to yourself, yeah. you know, am I ever going to get you know into the side? And then Liverpool, you know, come up. You know, from the second division, and then we win the win the league in sixty three, sixty four. And you were obviously around, although you didn't, you know, play. You were obviously around with the with the first team then, because you were around the same age as some of the other lads. So you must have been delighted, but frustrated at the same time. Yeah, well, I travelled. I travelled a number of times with the first team as twelfth man. I remember once going to Leicester City to Filbert Street as twelfth man, and Roger Roger had a bit of food poisoning at lunchtime in the Nim Hotel. And I thought he was going to go down with it and I'd be on. And I just wanted one chance to get in because I was I scored, I think, seven goals in the previous three Central League games. So I was ready for it. But unfortunately for me, maybe not for Liverpool, 
unfortunately for me, he recovered and he played and I didn't get in. But, I mean, there was no substitute, you see. So there was only, I think, those boys, St. John and Honton, and they hardly missed the game. Shanks used to say when he was asked by the press, what's the team this Saturday, boss? Same as last season. You know, so we didn't have much of a chance to get. Now, Bobby Graham um, joined with me in 1960. He didn't. He broke into Team A by about 67, but he was out for a long time after that injury. He only really got into team permanently in 69. And he played every single first-team game. Then, they, then he went to Coventry. So mm. he only had that very fleeting season or two where he made that wonderful, you know, that wonderful time. It's, what a wonderful player. You know, somebody like him should have been in any team in Britain. Uh, mm. m- most of us, I think, would have been in any team in Britain if he hadn't been at Anfield at that time. Even Gordon only played about 20 games and he was a wonderful player, you know. Yeah. I mean, you wonder, don't you? You know, I mean... I mean, my dad used to talk to me about Alfie Arrowsmith, and I remember Ronnie Moran sort of coming to one one of our supporters club meetings once, and he was saying probably the greatest player that he he would sort of say who who never made it really because of his injury, and he would have been a total and utter legend had it not been for his injuries with Alfie Arrowsmith. He said he well, would he- have been up there. Liverpool fans and football fans would have been talking about Alfie Arrowsmith in the same way they talk about the likes of Roger Hunt, Ian St John, you know, and all the great strikers because he had everything, didn't he, Alfie? Yeah, he had a lot of pace. Um, you know, and basically, I mean, even when I played the Central League, he was the only one who scored more goals in one season. He was a goal machine. He really was. We played Man United in the semi-final of the uh, Lancaster Senior Cup at Old Trafford, and we beat them five-two. Which was fantastic. But I think our debut it was our debut for the reserves, and uh, beaten five two. Shanks was over the moon. Uh, Alfie scored three, and we're coming off the pitch. And Shanks standing at the tunnel, and he said, "That was sheer poetry, boys, just like what Burns wrote." <laughs> <laughs> you love Robbie Burns, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, Alfie was a fantastic player. Yeah, George. I don't know. I bumped into an ex. Liverpool ex Trammy player a few months ago. I don't know if it's a name you might remember, Joey Pritchard. Oh, yeah, I played with Joey. Yeah, yeah, he yeah to, I played. He used to live in our road when I lived in Rockberry as a kid, and I was talking to Joey. His wife was in the shop the same time as my wife, so we were just sitting outside, staying out the way. And he was saying, he, uh, were you at Liverpool? Well, was he at Liverpool when you were there? Because it said he, he was over there, but I think his fan... I was what what I was getting around to asking is he had to choose between staying at Liverpool and signing forms or I'm not I'm not aware of apprenticeship. And I think I think deterred him from actually he said you'd either play for Liverpool or you go for an apprenticeship, you know. Well I didn't know that. I didn't know Joey played he certainly wasn't at Liverpool when I was there in the sixties. Right. I I, I met Joey at at Tranmere. Yeah. I I, I took Joey's place in the team at Tranmere. Right. And then he he got it back for a while. Then I got it back again. So we were, mm-hmm. you know, we had a little fight for the position. He was a lovely guy, great player, hard as nails. Another yeah. guy, Jerry Casey, Jerry Casey and Joe Pritchard. Yeah, I remember them. And Alan King, they were hard men. Mm-hmm. Tranmere yeah. had a tough team, and, and and George Ardley was a great striker. And we had a good team up in the top half of the third division. But you know, a really good club, as I think Thomas said earlier, a great, yeah. smashing club, a great club. John Axenberg used to play for them, didn't he, as well? Yeah. yeah. I think, I think Joey, Joey was telling me that he, he was he wanted to sign for Liverpool. He, he was, And Shankly wanted him to sign. But I think 
when he'd spoken to his family, they said, "Oh, you better get a trade behind you just in case it doesn't yeah. work out." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he ended up. I think he ended up going to Camelards and then he did. Going he did. And that. But yeah, he, he lived in our road, and he used to have a kick about with the kids, Joey. Yeah, and I think his brother played maybe for Sam. He had a brother as well. Can't remember, but he. I remember Joey more so than anyone because, like as I was saying before, Friday nights for me and my dad, we'd walk up to Trenton Park. It was only a 20-minute walk, half-hour walk. That's and right, yeah. All the players. And you mentioned, I think, Roy McFarlane. I know if you remember him playing against Bradford Park Avenue and this fella standing next to me and my dad, he said, he'll, he'll play for England one day, this kid. And he was a kid, but you could see. And, uh, and he did. Like, like you said, they had some fat, you know, a lad called Graham Williams on the wing and that. They had some really good players, you know. Yeah, well, it's funny about Tranmere. When I came back from Port Elizabeth, um, you know, it's a whole other story that in South Africa, we won the league championship in 67. I was uh, one of the top, well, second or third top scorer in the country. It was a great period over there. I really enjoyed it. But when we came back, I didn't have a club to come back to. And I met uh, the chairman of Liverpool in, in Port Elizabeth. They came to see me. Sid Reeks, and he told me, he said, when you come back, come and see Billy. He said, he loves you, he'll fix you up with the club. I'm sure he will. Now, you couldn't do this today. I went up to Anfield, bumped into Roger Hunt outside the player's entrance. He was surprised to see me because he thought I was in South Africa. And um, he said, oh, boss is in his office, go and see him. He'd be, he'd be made up to see you. So I went in, dead funny. I walked in, I walked down the passage, and he came out of his office. Um, and he was with a couple of reporters, one for the Daily Mirror, one from the, uh, I think, the Echo. Leslie Edwards, I think it was, and, you know, uh, forget the other guy. Anyway, he saw me like, you know, <laughs> they were dismissed. And he said, look where the wind's just blowing in. He said, Chris, son, you haven't grown. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I thought, the, I thought the sun made you grow. <laughs> anyway, he took, me, he took me in his office and uh, unbelievable. You know, I hadn't seen him for two, two and a half years since I left. He gave me this amazing reference, which, you know, it's priceless. He said he was staking his life on my character. I've, I mean, I've got it here. Look at this. You won't be able to read it, but uh, it's in a frame now. And it's a fantastic reference, you know. Wow. wow. You can, it, it says, dear people, that's P with a little P. Yeah. This is a reference. Most references are dear sir or madam. Yeah. Dear, <laughs> dear people, I'll, re- I'll read it for you because it's, it's worth reading because it's unbelievable. And it's very precious to me, anyway. Dear people, to whom it may concern, the above player, that's me, George Scott, the above player played for my club under my management for nearly five years. During that time, he never caused anybody any trouble. I would stake my life on his character. And it's signed in red ink, W. Shankly. And that was in July 22nd, 1966, just before I set off for South Africa. So I hadn't seen him since, till I come back. And when, I, when, he, when he was so pleased to see me, he said, where do you want to play, son? So I said, well, anywhere, boss, you know, anywhere. Give me a chance. That's all I want, just a chance. He said, well, sometimes, son, in life, you only get one chance. You have to take it. Well, about Tranmere Rovers? Now, he hadn't even spoken to the manager. So I said, oh, that would be great. And he picks the phone up, and he phones David Russell, who was the manager. And I always remember the conversation. Like he says, uh, hello, David. Ah, Bill Shankly here. Yeah, ah, yeah. Oh, good win Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a boy here just come back from Africa. Greatest player ever to play in my reserve team. He's got 20 goals a season. And Dave must have said, I can't afford to sign him, Bill. You can't afford not to. <laughs> <laughs> and next minute, he gets. He says, have you got, have you got your boots? I said, no, I'm getting, boss. 
take him to Brenton Park, son. The ball's in your court. I've got you a one-month trial, 13 wages. Now, I went over to Brenton Park, and I saw Dave Russell, and I'm only five foot six, and I'm very big. He looked at me, and he didn't know who I was, I don't think. He said, I hope you can play, son. He said, just give it to my directors two months. I said, well, son, Bill Shankly's word, is his word not good enough for you? A bit cocky, you know. He said, oh, well, I like your style. Let's see if you can back it up. So he put me in the first team on the Wednesday night against Derby County. They won the league championship the following season. You had Hector, Hinton, O'Hare, Shilton, Mackay, Gemmell, the whole shooting match. Clough was the manager. And this was Alan King's testimonial at Prenton. 14,000 there. And there's me coming from South Africa. Didn't know who the hell I was. Put me in the first team. Anyway, I had an absolute storm of the first half. I was, not met Dave Mackay and he threatened, what hospital did you want to wake, in, wake up in, son? You know? And uh, half time, half time, the secretary came in and he signed me in a two-year contract. And that got me and my wife and my little boy of four months back to set back into England again. And that was all thanks to Shankly again. Um, you know, so I've got so much to thank him for. Okay, I you had know to what, George? What you're saying then, George, you know, like luck is everything in football, isn't it? When you were you you were chatting away before about you know, like when Roger went down with food poisoning, you know, that's that that that's the story of a football, isn't it? And yeah. We we've had this discussion on, on podcasts along the way, you know. The, the difference between making it and not making it is the smallest amount. And it, it, it comes down to sometimes it might be an injury to a player and you take your opportunity and the opportunity is totally different. It, yeah. And I, I, I grew up, funny enough, I went to my first game in 1965, 1965, 1966. So that was when I started watching. I remember that sign. Holmes and you know you know I've probably, we haven't even mentioned the player yet. You've, you've mentioned every player, but a player that I thought was a superb footballer, Willie Stevenson. Ah, uh, yeah, Billy, Billy, what a player! Yeah, what oh, a player! My God, you know, yeah. like to somebody now to talk about, you know, like a, a, mid, a midfield type player who could pass a ball. He's yeah. a marvelous footballer. Yeah, and, but again, it's everything is down to luck, isn't it? It is really. I mean, I've had a lot of that sort of thing happen. I mean, to be honest, you know, destiny, shall we call it, rather than luck, you know. Um, even right in the beginning, coming to Liverpool in the first place was destiny because I was destined for Aberdeen. Only if, if the guy in this school hadn't been a scout for Liverpool, I would never have come near Liverpool and nothing would have happened that's happened since, you know. But I mean, there's a lot. When I left Liverpool as well, that was when I, when I finished at Tranmere after a couple of, about 50 games, I think, in the first team in two seasons. And I decided that. I'm not really going to make it now the big time because I was getting towards the late 20s, playing at Barrow and Torquay and you know all these places. I thought, well, I may as well. I've got a long life ahead of me. I need to do something to get. So I went for an interview for the job with Nestle as a sales rep. I never told anybody. I went to the Adelphi Hotel. I was still playing for Tranmere at the time. And it's a long story. It's in the book. When I went in there, there was about 80 people all with the collars and ties, you know. I never sold nothing in my life, you know, and I thought, no, I can't do this. And I walked away. I'm walking back down Lime Street, past the Grapes Pub, and I thought, hang on, Shanks wouldn't give up, would he? I'm not a quitter. Go back. So I went back, and I got, got a long story short, I got the job. I then had to persuade Dave Russell to let me go. And lucky for me, Stan Storton, who's a right back, he took over as manager of Ellesmere Port Town. And, you know, he asked me, he said, if you can get your release, in come tells me a port town, the Northern Premier League, I'll pay you twenty pound a week and ten in the summer. Well, I was getting thirty pound a week from Nestle with a company car. 
twenty pound mm. a week from Ellesmere Port, and I'm playing in the Northern Premier League, good standard, like the Conference today. So it was a no-brainer. And when I told the lads at Tranmere I was leaving to go to play, to you know, work for Nestle, Joey and a few others said, "You'll have a bloody milky bar on the top on the top of your car. You've been driving out with a bloody milky bar, you know, <laughs> and all this, all the Mickey taken." But I had the last laugh because I got a job and a career, but I never looked back from. That's, that's another whole story. But I mean, the other thing as well is when I left Liverpool after that Tranmere, um, sorry, after I came back from Port Elizabeth, when I, I came. I came back to, um, sorry, go back in time. I'm getting a bit confused. Go back in time. When I actually left Liverpool, mm. after the Inter Milan game, after the 1965 Cup final, I mean, I was devastated because I thought that I was going to be in keeping on in the first team in 1966. But Shanks brought me in the office and told me that he'd sold me to Aberdeen for £12,000. And the way he told me was amazing because he said, you need to go back, son, to Aberdeen. I've sold you. Eddie Turnbull can't wait to get you up there. You'll be in the first team. You need first team football. And by the way, he said, there's five reasons why you need to leave now. Here. What are the boss? Callaghan, Hunts, and John Smith and Thompson. That was his exact words. <laughs> they're all international. They're all internationals, George, and they're not going anywhere. And then I was in tears. Genuinely, was in tears because uh, I saw I'd known for five years and I, I thought I was going to make it in there. And he comes out from behind his desk and he said to me, he said, I want you to think of yourself, son, as the 12th best player in the world. What? What? He said, well, the first team here at Anfields, he said, them, them 11 players, he said, they're the best 11 players in the world. They just won the cup in the league. You're leading score on the reserves, he said. So you think of yourself as the 12th best player in the world. Now, I was rubbish, but it gave me a big lift. And then as I was leaving his office, he said, think of yourself as the foundation stone of the Liverpool Cathedral. Nobody will ever see the stone, but unless the stone's there, the cathedral will never get built. Now, they were very profound words, which I even knew what he was talking about. But on reflection later, I realised what he was saying. We're all part of the same team. You know, everybody needs to be part of it to build the, you know, the, what came yeah, I, after I, that. I think you've sold yourself a little bit short there, George. I don't want anybody who, could, anybody who was held out of a position... By Roger Rums and Ian St. John, he's not a bad player. You, you, you know, like to be honest, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing, isn't it, when you can look back and the story that you can tell. You know, at a time when it was, it was the building of the Liverpool story. And yeah. to be there, it was. Period. It's just a. It must be. It must have been a fantastic, fantastic time to be involved in Liverpool Football Club. It must have been amazing. Well, I think I'm lucky in one way that most of my colleagues, and I'm still keeping touch with most of them. You know, poor Bobby is not very well. He's up in Motherwell. He's got early stage, you know, memory problems and stuff. As a lot of them have, Big Ronnie as well. Most of them have either passed away or they've or they've got you know health problems. And I'm one of. The, I'm really lucky that I can still remember most of the stuff that I was involved in and can articulate it and write about it. And I think that's been a joy, to be honest, because the reason I wrote the book with Jeff Goulding was for a legacy to bring to the modern fans how it was, as you say, then at the start of the glory years when Bill turned the club around from a second division team, as I said, going nowhere, into what became and still is probably the greatest football institution in world of football amongst one or two other clubs. So, you know, it's, um, I'm very blessed to have been able to be with those wonderful players at that time, playing with them, training with them, um, keeping in touch with them. I still see Callie. You wrote the foreword to the book for me. Um, 
I don't see so much of Billy now. I still see, keep in touch with Chris through his wife, Geraldine, as well. And I'm in touch with most of the family of the players I played with. Alfie Adelsmith's daughters, Tommy Lawrence's children. Um, they all want to know about the dads, you know, uh, which is understandable. So through Facebook and Twitter, whatever. I don't do much on Twitter, but on Facebook, I've got a lot of Facebook friends of football, you know, football groups and that, which it's always pleasant. And I've met so many nice people since I wrote the book from abroad. People come to Liverpool and meet them in Shankly Hotel, sign the book for them and the happiest. So I see, and I do after dinner speaking for charity. Um, my wife got blood cancer when I was two or nine, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, grade three. And she almost died. She was really, really seriously ill. And only through research, um, they got a new drug came out and that saved her life, really. And so I've decided to put the money into um, lymphoma treatment, leukemia. And I've raised about 20,000 now just by doing talks after dinner clubs and, uh, you know, like uh, rotary clubs, golf clubs. That's not big stuff. I've done one in a theatre, a small theatre, 150 seater. But I do them every so often. And uh, I always enjoy them and have a laugh, you know, some of the stories. I always tell a story about Alfie. You were talking about Alfie Adersmith before. When he was playing against Sunderland, and he was playing uh, Big Charlie Hurley, centre-half, jumped up with him in the centre circle by the players' tunnel, and they clashed heads, and they went down in a battle of bricks, and Charlie got up, and he shook his head, and he wandered off towards the cop. Alfie was still down there, prone on the ground. Shanks is getting real agitated because it's about four minutes before half-time, and he's out cold. Bob's on Bob limps on with the smell of salts and his magic sponge and trying to get him round, and he's not coming round. And Shanks is getting more and more agitated, and he's shouting to Bob, is he going to be able to continue, Bob? Is the boy going to be able to continue? And Bob turns around, and he says, I don't think so, boss. He doesn't know who he is. Shanks says, tell him he's Pelly. <laughs> George, can I just ask you, you know, you, you've mentioned, and, and I know what you you were actually saying, what Shankly meant when he was talking about the, you know, the the stone in the cathedral, because that's the foundation. And back then, as you as you said before, you know, you you never managed to to make it into the first team. But we've all mentioned, you know, some of the players who stopped you, you know, making that breakthrough, if you like. But if you hadn't been there to push them. Right, they wouldn't have been as successful as they are. And, and two things I want to ask you about, really, because obviously, you know, I always, I always say to we had, we had a dinner um, to commemorate Liverpool winning the the league for the first first time and the fifty year anniversary in in sixty six sixty four, and then for the cup for the first time in sixty four sixty five. And I tried to get over to the to the younger supporter. How these sort of players, and they, you know, they were they were getting on in years then, and sadly now a lot of them have passed on. But when we at the time, the vast majority of them were there. We even got Bobby Graham down, all oh, right, and Gordon Wallace come, um, and we made them presentations. and And one of the things I said on the night was, when you look at Liverpool today, and you look at you know, the, now we've got six European Cups, right? And everything that we've won since since Shankly come, right? Without these players, and we've gone through them all today, Liverpool Football Club wouldn't be what it is today. We wouldn't have yeah. a Jurgen Klopp, we wouldn't have a Mo Salah, 
you know, in the past wouldn't have had a Luis Suarez or any of yeah. them because those those players and, and your your sort, even though you didn't play, you were there pushing them from the sidelines. Vastly important that this that this story has got over to a lot of people. Lawrence yeah. Lawler Byrne, you know, uh, Milne, Yates Lawler, Stevenson, Yates Stevenson, Callaghan, John Smith, and Thompson. They were the they were the start. You know what I mean? And and yeah. then you know I've mentioned other players like Alfiana Smith. But you were there at the start and I just want to know two things I want to ask you about really. We're in the league in 63-64 for the first time under Shanks. Right. And then winning the FA Cup for the first time in Liverpool's history in 1965. And also about the bravery of Jerry Byrne, who sometimes goes forgotten. Now, to play as long as he did in that FA Cup final with a broken collarbone, not shows just shows immense courage, but shows yeah. what it was to be a Liverpool player under Bill Shankly. Now, I'll just leave the rest to you, mate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I wrote the book, actually, uh, I wrote about most of these players, and Jerry gets the biggest part. He, I mean, because I admired him so much. He's a fantastic. Shangri rated him the hardest man in the club, even harder than Tommy Smith. You know, he said, "You don't mess with Jerry Byrne." You know, I mean, I think Tommy and him jumped up in Melwood once, clash heads. Tommy come over the gash eye, and he said, "That's what you get for messing with Jerry Byrne, son." <laughs> but no. Jerry Byrne was a fantastic player. They were all fantastic players. I mean, 64, when they won the league, um, was a fantastic achievement. You know, it was wonderful. 62, when they actually got promoted, that was a wonderful occasion as well. Pouring rain, the 1-2-0, and it took him into the first division from his second division. And then a few years later, there they go, win the league, and then win the cup in 65. And they should have won the European Cup as well. Because yeah, they were yeah. robbed by Milan. Robbed, uh, yeah. Cheated by Milan. I was there and they cheated, you know. Uh, but you know, that's the way it goes sometimes, you know. But yeah, you've got to um you've got to look back on it and think to yourself, if as you said, Thomas, without those players, Liverpool would not be where they are today. And without Shankly, definitely, and Bob Paisley, Joe Fagan, Ruben Bennett, and Ronnie Moran, and the others that came after. You know, it's a wonderful history, really, and I'm so proud to have been part of it in the beginning, you know. I mean, the other thing where you talk about having one chance. Uh, the 1963, they went to America on tour, 63-64, five-week tour. I was called in. I got my bag. I got my rejections. I got everything. I was all ready to go. I'm part of the squad. I think there was 20 went, or 19. I'm a... Anyway, a week before we're due to travel, Shanks pulls me in his office and he says, sorry, son, you're going to have to stay behind. We've just signed Chisnell from Man United, 30,000. So that was a body blow, you know. I mean, Phil Chisnell came. Lovely lad, Phil. I played with him. In fact, funny enough, the following season, I scored more goals than him in the reserves. <laughs> so it gave me a bit of pleasure. But, I mean, he came and he went on the trip and I didn't. And that, Bobby went, Gordon went, Fred Molyneux went, I think. Um, and it was a wonderful trip. They were on the Ed Sullivan show because the Beatles were big time then. Liverpool was all over the world. as I said, beat. And I was one game, they won 14-0 and Alfie got six. So I would have scored in that game. No question about it. And the other one was disappointing was after the cup final. Sorry, a week before the cup final, we, we played Wolves at Molyneux and Shanks played, which was virtually a reserve team. Like a lad called John Seeley played up front and scored. And he only had about four games in the reserves. A lad called Alan Hignett played left back. He had about five games in the reserves. Lovely guys, but they hadn't played a lot in the Central League. I wasn't picked for the team. And I wanted to know why. And Shanks said to me, he said, I couldn't pick you, so I needed Turnbull insisted. The same, you know, the deal had gone through. 
And uh, I thought, well, you could have played me. You could have played me just to get the game because you never know what would have happened. But he was right in many ways. I was 20. I needed to get first-team football. But it would have been nice to play in that one game because they won 3-1, I think. And it was a it was a league match, you know. Uh, so little things like that, you know, you look back on it and think, if only. Because I could have played a Molyneux and scored a couple. Mm, I could have yeah. played an American Tour and scored a battle load. And things could have been different. But uh, it wasn't to be. But no regrets. How no long, regrets how whatsoever. Long, how long were you back up at Aberdeen for then, George, after you left? Well, that was another thing, you see. I went back to Aberdeen. Brilliant. I loved it. It was great. I was devastated to leave Liverpool, but that was my team. I was going back to Aberdeen, staying with my mum, the brothers, Petodri. And I scored on my debut after 13 minutes, first, first goal in Scottish football that season. And then we played Rangers. We beat them 2-0 at Aberdeen, Glasgow Rangers. All my family were there. My girlfriend, who's my wife now, she was there. My, my stepfather, all my schoolmates were there. 30,000 at Petodri against the Rangers. Beat them 2-0. Laid on both goals. Came back a bit of a hero up to the, the Gordon Hotel at night. Everybody's asking autographs and everything. I went on to play another dozen games or so. And then I got a cruciate ligament injury on the beach. I was I was um used to train in the Sandhills sometimes down Aberdeen Beach. There was a lad called Tommy White, who was his brother John White, played for Spurs and Scotland, and he was killed tragically by lightning in the early sixties. Yeah. And Tommy was John's brother, and he tackled me from behind. Just one of these things. And the cruciate ligament went, and I was out for five months. And at the end of the season, they let me go. So from being at Wembley in May 65, in May 66, I was on the dole. And I was throwing rope around pallets of biscuits in Crawford's Biscuits in Binge Road and telling stories to the fans about Liverpool, you know, and don't know where the future held. And then Shankly come again and got in touch with me and said, as a lad from Port Elizabeth coming over, Matt Crow scout, he said they got a good team over there. That um, I've been on to Cliff Lloyd, Players Union. He wants to see you and tell you all about it. So I went to see Cliff and he put me in touch with this lad and Dave Watson from Port Elizabeth. And Carol and I got married the same day England won the World Cup, 1966, July the 30th. A week later, I went off to South Africa and uh, Port Elizabeth. And it was fantastic. I used to get 20,000, 25,000 in the home games. Played in Durban, Johannesburg, Cape Town. And Ian St. John and Roger and them came over a bit later in the 70s to South Africa. And pitches were nice, suited me. They were firm pitches. First season, um, I played nine games, scored six goals, and the season was over. I was only nine games left. Then you had the summer, we again barbecues and on the beach. And then when the new season came, we ended up winning the league. So we uh, won, won the, the game before the last game at um, the Rand Stadium in Johannesburg, uh, 30,000 there. We beat the previous champions, a team called Highlands Park, who had some really good ex players from Britain. Teddy Mancini played for us. Kevin Lewis played for us. Do you remember Kevin Lewis from Liverpool? Yeah, yeah I remember the name. Yeah, yeah but Kevin, he scored both goals when we got promoted against yeah. Swansea. Uh, well, Kevin was John Fielding from, he used to play for Southport. George Easton was over there. So we had a really good all-British team. And the supporters there, a lot of them were black. And it was a partied. And so, but they were all behind the goal, thousands of them. And they loved us because we were an all-British team. And Britain was against the party. So they had the Union Jacks and all sorts behind the goal. Um, and I remember when I scored on my debut with a diving header, and I got a nickname, a nickname called Silver Bullet. Because <laughs> 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 I was particularly white. <laughs> <laughs> Blonde hair. 
you know, so that, uh, it was an Afrikaans, I, mean, I can't pronounce it in Africa, but that's what they told me, I call Silver Bullet. It was fantastic over there, um, you know, for a little spell, I worked in a, as a head of security in a factory before we went full-time. Unbelievable. I mean, all black, black lads in the factory, the secretary had a gun, you know. And at the end of the time, end of the two years, after we won the league, the following season, we finished second, and I got a guy broke in our apartment, I got stabbed. So that's when we decided to come back. And that's when Sid Reeks came to see us. And that's when I came back yeah. to England, you know. But that's why we came back, because we, we signed a two-year contract. And that was it. We knew we were coming back to England again. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tranmere and onwards from there. George, looking back at your time at Liverpool, what we, and I know you haven't, you know, we've always said that you've you never played the first team. You've got some fantastic memories and as Tommy Very said back. before, you know that you know it's no, it's no sort of bad thing if you if you kept out the side by, you know, an Ian St John or a Roger Hunt, you know, the likes of them because they're they're both legends, world world class footballers. Yeah. You know, the the names are sort of edged right up there in the in Liverpool folklore and history. But what was what's your favourite memory of your time at Liverpool? Favourite memory of my time at Liverpool? Well, when I was actually there at the club and it was towards right at the end, it was obviously the 1965 Cup Final when Ian St. John scored that winning goal with the diving header because, you know, that was a very, very emotional time because Liverpool had never won the Cup. And yeah. uh, when when Jerry Byrne got injured and we thought down to 10 men, he stayed on there for the whole game. In fact, he laid on the first goal. And, you know, I remember looking at Tommy Lawrence and thinking, God, Tommy, you know, you must be nervous, man. You know, a slight drizzle of rain, you know. I thought, don't drop the ball, for God's sake, because the whole world's watching. And, he, of course, he didn't. And Roger scored and Ian scored and we came home with the cup. So when we came back to I was 500,000 people in the streets, when we came out of Lime Street and went through the streets, it was just incredible. You know, you couldn't see the buildings. And up in Water Street, I remember standing behind Shanks in the room behind him, I wasn't right up at the front. I was there. I could see his hands up, you know, and the white horse down at the front, and his voice was booming. I was just, you know, as a kid, like, that's what I'm saying. That blew my mind away. Then next morning, I'm opening the letter telling me I'm going. Mm-hmm. You know, where uh, Peter Thompson, he wanted to go into town to celebrate. When I opened this letter, I said, no, no, I'm not going. I'm staying. Um, but I got over it within 24 hours, you know. It was, it was a bit of a come down. By the way, George, what what you've just mentioned the name there, Peter Thompson. What yeah. a player he was! Oh, yeah. Give him yeah. the ball and he'd just keep it all day, wouldn't he? What a player he was! Shanks used to say they come to watch Peter in the kicking. <laughs> <laughs> he was a brilliant, he was a brilliant player, George. Fabulous oh, like player. You go past him, you go, yeah. you go past him, past him again. He, you used yeah. to have a fella who lived in Street, Joe Brindle. God, he's long since passed away. He used to, we used to travel down when we go when we go to the match, you know, like we get picked up in the Leeds, and I used to go with all my dad's mates, yeah. all my dad's mates, but they, my dad was an Evertonian, but all his mates that go down to me. You're frozen there. Where he worked in Dunlops. And uh, yeah, back. He said, Do you know what he, he turned and he said he said, you know, the only thing with Peter Thompson he said he likes to beat a man and go back and beat him again. And then go back <laughs> and beat him again. And then put him <laughs> in the door. Do you know, 
I'm going to say in 1962, I think it was 62, he went to, he went to um, South America with the England team. And uh, they played against Peru and, and, and Argentina and Brazil. And he won the player of the tournament. He came back with his trophy, the player of the tournament, not kidding, to Lily Road, to our digs. He had his trophy. And he also had a Brazilian shirt that he swapped. Uh, it wasn't Pelle's shirt, but it was a Brazilian shirt. I can't remember the number. Anyway, me and Peter are playing cricket outside the front of the digs. I mean, you can imagine, can you imagine Salah, man, he played. And Peter was, I was batting. And I, I said to Peter, can I put that shirt on? Just a Brazilian shirt, you know, it just about fit me, you know. So he said, ah, he gives me the shirt. So I've got this shirt on, Brazilian shirt. And this little scouse kid comes up the road and he's looking for an autograph, see. And he goes up and he, as he, before he goes to Peter, he said, hey, George, is that a Brazilian shirt? I said, yeah, it is. I said, Peter swapped it with Pelly. He said, it belonged to the greatest player in the world. And this kid said, well, it still does. <laughs> Scouse accent. You still do it. <laughs> oh, George, that's be that's that's a brilliant way to end the podcast on a on a fantastic story like that. I'd like to thank you so much for for agreeing to join us tonight. It's really been a pleasure, and it's it's really sort of broadened our history and knowledge of the club as well. So thanks very much. So. And as normal, I'll say thanks to Tom and thanks to Pete for joining me tonight. And as you always end the podcast by saying, justice for the 97, don't bite the sun and you'll never walk alone. And until next time, see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good night. God bless. <laughs>